Well, turn in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4, this is lesson 9. We're continuing our study of, of what we call angels and demons, and it's a great study. We look at these spirit beings created by God. They're found all over the Bible, and they're here. Listen, we can't see them. They're spiritual beings. Sometimes, uh, sometimes they manifest themselves in certain ways, but we know that there are good angels. In fact, that's how we said it. There are good angels and bad angels. We know that, that originally God created all the angels. He created them all at one time. Angels do not reproduce. So whatever number of angels there are, they were created at one time by God. Then uh, Satan, the uh, anointed cherub at the throne of God, rebelled. Pride was lifted up, and he was removed from his position, and he apparently took a number of angels with him. And so that's why there's a division, what we call the good angels, sometimes called elect angels, sometimes called holy angels. They serve God and man. And then there's the bad angels, sometimes called demons, uh, who oppose God and man. And that's what we're in. There's a, there's a spiritual battle going on. And if you remember in the Bible, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but it's against rulers, power, spiritual wickedness, spiritual forces, and heavenly places. So that's, that's what we're got. So in the, in the early lessons, we started... Uh, Question? Um, what are the elect angels? What are what? Elect angels. It's same as saying good angels. Same as saying the angels that stayed with God and do what God has. Okay, good, good question. Okay, um, we started in the first lessons and we started looking at good angels and the creation and how they related to God and Jesus and everything. And then after a few lessons, we, we turned, as I said, to the dark side. And we're looking really at Satan and the demons, this part. And in these last few lessons, we saw uh, Satan's creation, his fall, his sinfulness, his positions, his activities. And we've been focusing on the, the ministry and what, uh, what we might say. We know that Satan opposes both God and man. He has a counterfeit system seeking to be like God. Now, that, the bottom line is this. Satan wants to be God, and he's not. He's an angel. He can never be God, and he wants to be God, and he has a counterfeit system, and he tries to do things that are similar, are very close to God. That's why he has a false gospel message. The gospel message is whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life, that Jesus died and rose again, and you believe in him, you get the gift of eternal life. Satan's message is, well, Jesus is fine, but what you have to do, you have to turn away from sin, or you have to be good, or you have to do this, you have to do this. And so his message is works. There's a false trinity. Instead of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, which we're seeing in the book of Revelation. He has a false, uh, false servant. It says the Bible even says that his messengers come as they come as as messengers of light. You know that they come, they look right, and so you got to be very careful because Satan is an evil person. Uh, it, when I say person, evil being, and he his goal, and we're going to talk more about it tonight. What's his goal for us? What does he want for us? And we'll see it. So he has the counterfeit system. We saw the uh, all these different things. We, he wanted to stop Jesus from dying and paying for sin. And that last lesson, lesson eight, Jesus gained the victory over Satan on the cross. That was the key thing. We saw that. And I want you to think about it. This is the verses that we always put up. It says, talking about Jesus having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. That's law, which was hostile to us. Law, by the way, is hostile. Law is the character of God. But when you put yourself under law, you cannot keep it because you're not God. And that's why law actually causes people to sin. The law's purpose was to point people to Christ. And so he says, and he has taken it out. He's taken it out. Having nailed it to the cross... And then what it says here, when he, Jesus, had disarmed the rulers and authorities, that's demonic stuff, that's angelic stuff, he made a public display of them, how? Having triumphed 
over them through him, through him on the cross, talking about Jesus. And that's the bottom line. And so that's the great victory uh, of, of all. And we're going to talk more about it tonight because when you look at it, it looks great and it looks bad. And we'll talk more about it in just a second. So tonight as we look, we're going to look at two things. We're going to see two key areas. Satan trying to stop Jesus. Now we already talked about that. But we stopped last week with the final way. We talked about Herod and Haman and in Egypt, of course, and, and all that stuff. But we stopped because we said the last one where, God, where Satan really tried to stop Jesus was the temptation. And we're going to see that. And then we're going to see Satan's opposition to us, both unbelievers and believers. And we're just going to hit on it because Lesson 10, If you, you don't have to turn there, but in Lesson 10, we're going to get a lot more about how this, this worked. So uh, when we think about Jesus on the cross, when Jesus cried, it was what we called the worst time and the best time. I want you to think about it. Do you remember the Tale of Two Cities? Anybody know how the Tale of Two Cities begins? It was the... Worst of times and the best of times. Yeah, it was. Well, Jesus died on the cross. It was the worst time and the best time. Well, think about it. From the worst time, here is the perfect Son of God who became a human being, suffering and dying for our sins. Our sins were placed on Him. He separated from the Father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is falsely accused as a criminal, as a liar, as everything else. That's the worst of times. It's the best of times. Why? Because the perfect Son of God died in our place as a substitute, taking our sins upon Himself. He is the final sacrifice for sin forever. And so that, that day, when you think about it, the religious leaders, they came up and they made fun of Him. They rejected Him. They said this, Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. Come down and we will believe in you. Well, you understand that they missed it. They, he cannot come down. If Jesus would have said, okay, I'll show you who I am. I'll just jump off the cross. I can come off the cross. I can do anything I want to. I'm God. But he couldn't come down off that cross. Why? Because if he did, why couldn't Jesus come down from the cross? Because they missed the whole key. He can't come down. He is the Son of God paying for their sins. Talking about those religious leaders. And he saved us by not saving himself. It's just an amazing thing. So the greatest event in history, the seed of woman crushing the head of the serpent. And Satan could not stop God's plan. You understand, all the way through, and we're going to go back in a minute and talk about it, all the way through, Satan has tried to figure out a way to stop Jesus from going to the cross. That's the plan. And yet, it never works. And, and listen, we talked about this. You remember this? We, we, just, we just went over this. So let's think about it. Genesis 6, what did he try to do to mankind? Bad angels came. Now, this is weird. Bad angels came and had sex with people, with women and tried to pollute the, the human race so there wouldn't be a true human so the Messiah would come. In Egypt, they killed all the Hebrew boy babies. In Esther, they wanted to kill all the Jews. Herod wanted to kill the boy babies two years old and under, and he did. Peter said, we won't let you die. No, no. You, you, I don't want you to go to the cross. He has to go to the cross. Religious leaders said, come down from the cross. You understand that Jesus, and I'm just going to throw this out real quickly, and I'm not going to go into the detail. You understand Jesus Christ paid for our sins before he died physically on the cross. Y'all understand that, right? A lot of people don't understand that. They'll say, well, when did Jesus pay for our sins? When he died on the cross. And they think and physically. No. Jesus was separated from the Father from, from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. It was dark. He said, my God, my God, why have you what? forsaken me. He is separated from the Father. Uh, the, the fellowship is broken. Jesus is paying for sin. Later, he comes back and Jesus said, it is what? 
finished. The payment is finished. He's still alive. So just understand that. The payment for sin was made when Jesus was separated from the Father. And so the religious leaders said, come down, come down. No, you can't come down. Now, we're going to look at Satan's greatest attack to stop Jesus. And I want, you to, I want us to think about what it would be like if we were Jesus at that time. Of course, we can't really identify with it because he's perfect and he's the Son of God and he's always existed and he can't sin and everything else. But we just want to think about what he faced. And we're going to see the temptation. So you're in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and that's where we're going to start. And we're going to see this. And it's, it's really a twofold thing, okay? Notice <clears throat> in your Bibles, look at chapter 3. And look at verse 13. At that time, Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. Now, here's John the baptizing one, baptizing people to identify with the kingdom. And Jesus comes to be baptized by him. And John says, no, 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 I have need uh, to be baptized by you. Not, why are you coming to me? And Jesus said, it's got to forfeit righteousness because he's going to identify with mankind. That's what Jesus' baptism was for, was to identify with fallen mankind so he could pay for our sins. Notice, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. The heavens were open. The Spirit of God came down and a dove. So you got Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then a voice out of heaven said, this is my beloved son. At the baptism of Jesus, you have the Father and the Son and the Spirit. But look what happened immediately after the baptism. Then Jesus was led by who? The The Spirit, the Spirit of God, into the wilderness. For what reason? To be tempted. So we could say, wait a minute. So God is, the Holy Spirit is telling Jesus to go out there. And so what we want to see, this temptation really is a twofold thing. From God's plan and from God's side, it's to test to prove that Jesus is the perfect Savior, that he will not fail. In fact, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, He was tempted in all points, yet without sin. Okay, so the first aspect is God's plan from God's side. It is to test the perfect Son of God, to show who he is. Okay, that's one reason it's in the Scripture for us, so we can see who he is. And you don't have to put every word down, but that's the bottom line. He's the perfect Savior, Hebrews 4, 4, 14 through 16, tempted yet without sin. Now, from the other side, the second thing is Satan's plan. Satan, from Satan's side, he wants to get Jesus to fail. Now, how's Jesus going to fail? If he would go against the will of the Father. What do we call it when we go against the will of the Father? What do we call it? Sin. Sin. Okay. What does he want Jesus to do? Sin. He wants Jesus to go contrary to the will of the Father. And, and when, when we look at the temptations, we could say, what's wrong with that? You know, but it's going contrary to the Father, and that's the key, and that's what we're going to look at. So let's look at, at chapter 1, I mean chapter 4, look at verse 1. It says, after his baptism, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, why? To be tempted by the devil. I mean, so it's, we're, going to, we're going to see how that is. And so it's to, to be tempted by the devil. Now, I want you to notice something, that in this little passage, uh, we see three titles. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. What does it call him? To be tempted by the devil. And the word devil means slanderer. It means a liar. It means an accuser. That's what he does to you. You understand that. For all of us, when I say you, I mean us. He is the accuser of the brethren. He lies about us. He doesn't have to lie. I mean, he could say J.B. is a sinner, and he's not lying. But he's a liar, and he's an accuser and a slanderer. His name's, and then in verse 
3, notice it says, And the tempter came and said to him. The word tempter means to, to, to pull, to do wrong, to do something wrong. There are, there are some Greek words that means test for approval. That's not to make you sin. That's to test to prove that you're right. This means to tempt you to do wrong. It appeals to the lust of the flesh. And so they're gonna, he's going to try to attempt to, Jesus, to get Jesus to go contrary to the Father. And then in verse 10, if you notice, Jesus says, Go, Satan. And he's called Satan there. And the word Satan means an adversary. He's called a roaring lion. So when you look at this, we see he's called the devil, the temporary Satan. We know his other names. He's got other titles. He's, uh, uh, you know, he's just a... a, he's a He's terrible, y'all. He's worse than we could imagine. I've said this over and over again. If you think the Satan is evil, you have no idea. We, we, we can't even imagine. We're not in a ballpark when we start trying to figure out how evil he is. So he's got three titles there that just in this little passage. Okay, so let's, let's see the plan and look at verse 2. It says, he'd been there, and notice it says, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. What do you think? <laughs> I get hungry after 40 minutes. I mean, you know, uh, you know, right? So 40 days or 40 nights, no food out in the world. By the way, when you think of wilderness, what do you think of? Yeah. Like trees and bushes? No, no, no. This is desert. This is out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, what's the wilderness in that part of the world is not trees and, and forest and vines and those kind of things. It's just nothing. And so he's out there, and it says he had fasted 40 days, 40 nights. He became hungry. So you think he's really hungry? Yeah. Of course. Is he a human being? Is Jesus 100% human? Yeah. yeah. Is he 100% God? Yeah. yeah. So he's different than anything that's ever been. Okay. So look what happens. And so here's the plan. Satan's plan. Get Jesus to sin by going contrary to the Father's will. So let's think what Satan's going to do. Okay. So let's look at what I call the first temptation. Look at chapter 4. But Question? Too fast? Do you need to go back? Satan's play. Just the, the goal is just to get. We've said it before, to get Jesus to go contrary to the Father's will, to do something different than the Father wants. Now, let me ask you a question: Did the Father put Jesus out there? Yeah, yeah. Did the Father know he's hungry? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we're going to see several other things. So this is not a surprise, right? Okay. Hey, you got it. Okay, all right, so here's the first temptation. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. Now, if you're hungry and you're God, and you can, do, you can, make, you can make stuff out of nothing, right? I mean, you don't have to even have a stone. He could just say bread. When he fed the 5,000, what did he do? Did he have to say, can y'all bring me some things that I can turn into to fish and loaves? No, he just kept handing it out. So he doesn't need a stone to turn it to bread to eat. So they came. And now listen, here's the thing I want you to get. The devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. In the Greek, there are three, there are actually five different ifs, but there are three we talk about all the time. There's an if that's called the first class if that says, if and it's true. When Satan said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, he's not questioning it. He's actually saying, if you are the son of God and you are. You understand that Satan and all the demons, 
All the angels, they all recognize exactly who Jesus is. And whenever Jesus would confront demons while he was on the earth, they would say something like, have you come to torment us or judge us before our time? They called him the Son of God. They knew who he was. Satan knows exactly who Jesus is. And he says, if and it's true, he knows that, that who Jesus Christ is. He knows that Jesus is God. And so he says, if you are the Son of God, and you are, then I want you to change stone to become bread. You need to meet what? You need to meet your needs. Listen, who put you out here? Why do you think the Father put you out here? You're hungry. There's nothing wrong with getting some bread, right? Get some bread, man. I mean, think about it. Listen, um, why, do you think, why do you think the Father got you out here? At 40 days? That's way too long, Right? And, and if you're the Son of God, and you are, why don't you just meet your needs? Get some bread. Here, I've got some stones. See, what's he want? He wants Jesus to go, well, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with making bread, right? Did, did the Father say, go make bread? Or did the Father say, I will provide all your needs? Okay? And so, Satan always wants us to do our will rather than God's will. Satan always wants us to do what we want to do rather than what God has for us to do. And so what is the response? I love this. Here's the response. Matthew 4, 4. It is always the word of God. Look what he said. But Jesus answered and said. These are, every response, by the way, in all of this is from the book of Deuteronomy. Most of us say, I, I haven't really ever read much of Deuteronomy, and yet this is the book Jesus uses to deal with temptation, right? Look what he said. And he answered and said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know what? He says, I don't need bread. I need the word. I need my Father's word. I need to do what the Father says. I need to trust the Father. Right? I don't. I don't need. I, I, I live not on bread, but by the word of God. It is the word of God, and he quotes Deuteronomy. In fact, Deuteronomy eight three. I love this. It when it says it says it is written. Literally, literally, it says it has been written. It's already established. It's already established that you live not by bread alone, but by the word of God. He said, I, I don't need physical food. I need God's word. I always obey God's word rather than my desires. I'm going to obey God and trust him to supply our needs. And when we think about our lives, it is so easy to say, I don't know what we're going to do. How are we going to make it? Trust God. He'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? We, we've got to trust him. Jesus is saying, if my heavenly father brought me out here without any food and I've been out here for 40 days, then I'm fine. I don't need the bread. I need the word of God. I need to hear what my father has for me to do. I'm trusting him. We must trust God to provide for our needs. It is easy in a world in which things are just changing so rapidly and nobody knows what's going to happen. Digital money and who knows what's going to happen and wars and, and just so much confusion. And, and, and we say, I don't know what's going to happen. No, we don't. We don't know what's going to happen. But we know who's in control. And as Jesus said, I go back to the word of God and not bread. Then we have to say, Lord, I just have to trust you. Well, let's, there's another. So that he, you think he'd say, well, I blew that one. 
No, he's going to try again. There's a second one. Look what it says. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, what do you think that means? If, and it's true, you are the son of God, here's what I want you to do. Throw yourself down. <laughs> that sounds kind of funny, but let's talk about what is, he, what is he really saying here. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. And by the way, I'm just going to erase this. In Jerusalem, there's a wall. There's, there's walls even still there now that it's like a big tall wall like this, and it goes this way. And the pinnacle of the temple is a corner of the temple. Over here is the Dome of the Rock that's there now. It used to be the temple back in there. There is an area, and it is 450 feet to a road. There's a road that goes right there, 450 feet down. So he goes, he takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, to a corner that looks down. I've been there. I've been to the pinnacle, and I look down, and you look, and you go, whoa, it's 450 feet. That's a long way. And so he takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple at the holy city, at the wing of the temple, and he says, jump off. (laughs) You know, he says, if you are the Son of God, jump off. Throw yourself down. And then he quotes Scripture. Satan quotes Scripture. He's not exactly right. I mean, he quotes, uh, the devil quotes Psalm 91.11, but he leaves out some parts of it. He misinterprets the rest of it. But, as always, but look what he says. He says, here's the Scripture. It says, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, so you will not strike your foot against a stone. He says, God's already said that the angels will protect care of you. And so if you jump off and you get all the way to the ground, and you don't even get hurt, wow, everybody will see you're, you're God. That's what he's really saying. He's wanting Jesus to do that. And, and, he's, and, and the bottom line, when you read Psalm 91, and you look at those verses, the idea is that and when I obey God, he protects me. What is Satan asking Jesus to do? disobey God. He's actually asking to go against Psalm 9111, but he's using it as if it's the right way. Satan always does that. Just remember this. He twists everything. Uh, uh, he, what did he tell uh, Eve, or the woman? Uh, well, when you eat that, you'll be like, like God, knowing good and evil. Was she like God, knowing good and evil? Yes, but was she like God, No, it's always that way. So he's quoting, and he's saying to Jesus, just jump down. Actually, if you jump down 450 feet and land, and you're standing there, and everybody sees it, they'll go, oh, my gosh, how did you do that? And so here's the deal. There's two ideas. He says, you won't be hurt by the fall, and everybody will see that you're the Messiah. You'll just jump off the top of the temple, basically, and you won't even be hurt. Wow. And there's another view, though, that there was tradition that the Messiah would suddenly appear. And so Satan's saying, what better way to suddenly appear than jump off a building and not get hurt? And so he's saying to Jesus, why don't you just just jump off? Just jump off. And, and, And the Bible says that you won't get hurt. This is contrary. Let me ask you a question. How did Jesus want people that he was knowing, and the people to know that he was the Messiah and the Savior of the world? By jumping off a building? Or by the seven signs we find in the Gospel of John and how he dealt with people? I mean, this is not the way to show he's the Savior, right? But Satan says, if you do it, then everybody will know. And you won't get hurt. You won't get hurt and everybody will see all that. Would Jesus be seen as the Messiah because he jumped off the temple? Think about it. Would he? Of course not. Of course not. 
So what is, the, what is the response? Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. And it's the Word of God again. It's Deuteronomy 6, 16. Look what he says. On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Psalm 91, 11 basically says, Obey God, don't test Him. And he was t- using it to tell him to test him. And so Jesus said, You don't put the Lord your God to the test. We don't put God to the test. It's powerful. And so Jesus says, I'm not not here to test God. Listen, here's the key. It's not God's timing. He will show me as the Messiah at the right time. Now think about that. Jesus is saying, I don't have to jump off a building to be known as the Messiah because at the right time, in the right way, Jesus Christ, the, the Heavenly Father, will prove and show that I'm the Messiah. When Jesus died on the cross, what did the Roman soldier say when Jesus died? He said, surely this is the Son of God. Listen, and when he rose from the ground. So Jesus doesn't have to jump off a building to prove that he's God. That, just think about that. We must trust God in the right time and in the right way. Listen. There are people who say, I, I want to be married. I know this is not a fired up man. He's not the kind of, but I just don't want to take a chance. I might not ever get married. And so, I'm, I mean, I know it's just, I, I mean, I know it, it may not be the right time, but I just, this is my chance. I, I've, known, I've watched that happen sometimes in my life. Or people say, well, we're not married, but we're going to live together because we need to test and see if we're compatible. Really? Really? You have to do that? Is that how God says do it? We have to trust God in the right time and the right way. Listen, uh, I wanted to be married from the time I was 18. My twin sister got married when she was 17. And then I thought, well, I probably should get married. And I just never, and I kept thinking, gosh, well, am I ever going to get to get married? And then I found her. At exact, guess what? At exactly the right time and in the right place. Yeah. So, uh, you, we got to trust him. And so he says, I'm, I'm, I'm gladder than y'all know. Okay, so anyway. Uh, so on the other hand, he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. We have to trust him. We have to trust him in the right time and the right way. Well, we're not through. So here's the third thing, the third temptation. Here it comes, and we all know it. And, um, and, and, and he takes him to a high mountain. Listen, we don't understand all this. Look what it says. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now, who is Jesus? He's God. Okay, listen. Who was, let me erase this. Who was the king of the world? Adam was. And then he, he fell. He sinned. And so who became the king of the world? Satan is the king of the world. Who's going to be the king of the world? Jesus is going to be the king of the world. Satan says, hey, you want to be king? You can be king right now. You can be king. How is Jesus going to get to be king? What has he got to do? He's got to go and die and pay for sin and rise again and conquer death and then come back as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Satan says, you don't have to do this. You can be king right now. I mean, I understand you want to be king. In fact, you think you're going to be king. I took kingdom away from this guy. And so he's saying to Jesus, Look, 
Notice, again, the devil took him up on a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and its glory. And here's what he says. All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. I'll give it to you if you fall down and worship me. Now, somebody could say, wait a minute, wait a minute. God controls everything. He's the king of everything. He controls everything. Satan doesn't control the world to give to Jesus, does he? Did, was Satan's offer a legitimate offer, so to speak? Who's the prince of the power of the air? Who's the king of this age? In fact, look, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he's called the god of this age. Remember, that's aeon. That means time period. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the king of this world. He, he controls this world system. Let me, let me just remind you of this. We've talked about it a lot of times in a lot of ways. But here we are. And, and I'm just going to put that we got a flesh, the natural bent to sin. And here is Satan who controls this fallen world system, and this world system affects us. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the king of this world and this age, and he controls it. And he's offering to Jesus. He's saying, if you will worship me, you don't have to go to the what? You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to go to the cross. You can be king right now. You can be king right now. You can become the king without dying, and you can have the crown before the cross. What's God's plan? What's God's plan? Cross before the crown. And that's the plan. And Satan is saying, no, no, no. you can be the king of the world without having to die. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to be separated. You don't have to. That's what he's really saying. And, and, and God's plan, God's plan is to die and then reign. Satan's plan is reign without what? Without dying. That's the plan. That's what his plan is. And, I mean, you know, you have to see. What's the response? By the way, have y'all got that? Okay, here's, what's the response? It's going to automatically be what? The Word of God. And say, how do you deal? Let's just say this. How do we deal when the temptations come? What do you have to go back to every time? You have to. There's no other thing. So look what he says here in 410. Jesus says, Jesus said, go. Some Bibles say, be gone. Get out of here. Go, it's a command. Go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord. That's L-O-R-D. What does that mean? What does that mean? Do you know? It's the personal name of God. That's Y-H-W-H, basically. That's the personal name of God. You shall worship the Lord, your God, and serve Him only. Serve Him only. Worship and... I think I've got it right here. Hold on. Worship and service go together. To, to you worship and serve... Uh, to God, that's the key. It all goes together. And he says, no, no, no. I, I don't worship you. I don't worship this world. I am the king of the world. I will have this kingdom one day. But it's all at exactly the right time. The temptation, Jesus could reign without suffering and dying. The cross must come before the crown, not crown before the cross. And that's the key. And this is Satan's plan. If he could just get Jesus, try, he tried to stop it all the way up, all the way up, all the way up. And now this is the pivotal time. This is the last big one. And he says, I tell you what, you don't have to die to be the king. Let me, did Jesus know what it was going to be like to suffer on the cross and be separated from the Father? I, I think because he's God, he knows everything. 
Now, he'd, probably, he'd never experienced that. In fact, he'd never been separated from the Father. I mean, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, my God, the Father, my God, the Spirit. He says, that's the first time in history of, of ever that he's separated from the Father and the Spirit. And I know that it was horrible, but he knows everything. And I think he had an idea. What, it, what will it be like for him to die and be separated from the Father and then to die physically? He knew, and he said, nope, I only worship one God. I want you to think about these three areas. First one is, the first principle we learn is, we obey the Bible rather than our desires. Trust God that he will meet our needs. He said, if you're hungry, make some bread. Jesus said, nope, I have to obey God rather than my desires. I have to understand that God will meet my needs. Let me ask you something. Is he going to meet your needs? He always does. Now, sometimes it's close. <laughs> but, but he always does, right? Okay, we got the first one. So think about it. That's the one about the bread. And God, he basically, we have to say, God will meet our needs. Number two, don't put God to the test. You, know, you have to trust him for his timing. Don't do something wrong because you just can't wait. Because you think, I've just, I just can't wait, or I'm going to miss out, or I may never get married, or I may never have this, or I may not do this, or I may not make this money. I don't know what I'm going to, I may not. And you just say, look, I have to trust you at the right time and in the right way. That's how he does it, always. And then the third one is that we worship and serve our God. We serve, listen to this, this is the key. We serve before we reign. Jesus had to die before he could rule. We have to serve before we get to reign with him. If you want to live with Jesus Christ and him say, well done, good and faithful servant, and you have a place of responsibility to serve him for the thousand years and then for all eternity, you got to serve him now. You don't get to rule without serving. Jesus didn't get to be king without dying. And that's one of the keys. Service that you serve before you reign. Those are big. Okay. So we, we've, this, is, this is some powerful stuff. Think about it. Uh, obey God rather than our... He'll meet our needs. Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your what? Your needs according to his riches. Don't put God to the test. Trust him in the right way, in the right time. And then when you think about it, serve before we reign. There's going to be a time when you'll get to serve Jesus Christ. You'll get to rule with him and serve with him, if you serve him. I mean, if you don't serve him, you won't. Uh, You're going to be in eternity with him, but you you won't get to serve with him. Okay. All right. Well, wow, that's some stuff, isn't it? Well, and you know, when you think about the temptation, there's a lot there. All right, now let's talk about Satan now coming to us. We're going to turn it around, and we're going to look about Satan, how he attacks mankind. First of all, he attacks mankind, uh, the unbelievers. And let me just say this. This is the key, okay? He never wants an unbeliever to believe in Jesus Christ. He wants to keep them from believing in Jesus Christ for eternal life. He wants them to be confused. He wants them to say, you have to do good works to be saved. You have to be baptized to be saved. You have to make a public profession to be saved. You have to turn away from your sins to be saved. You have to repent of this to be saved. You have to do that. He wants them to be so confused that they never understand that you believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life and you're saved and saved forever. And he doesn't care 
how religious you are. In fact, he would rather be a person be religious. He would rather a person, listen, I used to, when I was coaching at Mississippi State years ago, I had a, one time I had a football camp and I had a Bible study and I had a Bible study on my floor. I, I stayed on the floor. I was a single guy and I was walking down and I was talking to kids about salvation and I talked to a kid and the first thing he said was, I'm Catholic, I'm automatically saved. I said, I said no, you're not. No, he didn't like that. Let me just say that. But when I got to talk to him, but I've had people say, well, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm, I've gone to church all my life. I mean, I've got, I've got these Sunday school pins and stuff, you know. And people think that. And they think because of that, or they, they you know, I'm Jewish. I've had, I've had, I had a friend that was, he said, I'm Jewish. I'm God's chosen people. I'm going to always be with God. I said, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. You may be God's chosen people as a nation to serve him, but salvation is individual. Every human being must believe in Jesus Christ. So um, he wants to keep them. And listen, he would rather have a guy go in every Sunday morning to some church that never presents the message, and he thinks by going to church, he's okay. He would rather have them there than in the gutter. Because if you're in the gutter, you say, what's for me? And somebody might come along and tell him the truth about Jesus. So he'd rather a person be religious. Yes? Um, so why does the cross come before the crown? He has to die before he comes to king. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, good. Okay, so for unbelievers, to keep them from believing. Okay, for believers, guess what? He just never wants us to grow. He never wants us to serve. Because what happens when you serve? You touch lives, and then one day, what's he going to say to you? Well done, you know, and he doesn't want that. He doesn't want you to serve. He doesn't want you to grow. He doesn't want you to be used as God's instrument. He doesn't want you touching lives for Jesus Christ. And, and think about it. There, there are things that, that he wants. I always call it the three Ds. He wants doubt, d- doubt, division, and discouragement. He wants you to doubt. We're going to talk about it in a minute. Lot, God's love and God's, uh, God's word. He wants division. He wants you to think that your way is the right way and not everybody else. And it needs to be your way. And if it's not your way, then there's going to be some conflict. That's what he wants. He wants division. Why, why do churches split all the time? They divide over the stupidest things uh, it, because they're just... And then the third thing, he wants discouragement. He wants you to say... I'm just not. I'm just not. I'm just not worthy to serve God. Of course not. None of us are worthy to serve God. He takes us fallen people and turns us into children of God and gives us the Holy Spirit and the power to serve and spiritual gifts. And He says, "Go, do what I tell you to do. I'll use you. It's not your worthiness. It's my power through you." So we got to think about that. So that's the big deal. I want to quickly, with the time, we we got time to go through this, and then we'll have some time for questions. Let's look at this last part, and this is the fall of man, because this is how Jesus dealt with us. We've seen how Satan dealt with Jesus. What did he do? What was the plan on how Satan dealt with Jesus? What was it? To make him do what? To go, to go contrary to the Father. And he said, you're hungry, do this. Nope, nope, I, God meets my knees. Well, you jump off a building. He said, no, 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 I don't have to test him. It'll be at the right time and the right way. Well, I'll let you be the king. You can be the king without going to the cross. No, I have to worship God and serve him. Service comes first. Service comes before ruling. And so now, how does he deal with us? And so we're going to go back. And so go ahead and turn in your Bibles all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And we all know... That in Genesis chapter 3, this is where we call it the fall of man. Genesis 3, 1 through 5, the serpent is coming. This is Lucifer, and, and we're going to talk more about it in just, just a second. But let me, let me remind you um, uh, of, of what's going on. 
So God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the sixth day, he created man. And he put man in a garden, in a very special place. It was beautiful. It was, I mean, it was unbelievable. No weeds, nothing, everything just beautiful. Now, he had to till it and take care of it. And then, as he put him there, and God would come and meet with him, and realized that, that there needed to be something else. So God then brought animals. And all these animals came by, and he named them all. Giraffe, hippopotamus. You know what hippopotamus means, by the way? It means water horse. Yeah, that's water horse. It's, it's a Greek word, water horse. So water horse. So anyway, he's naming them all, and then he realized, there's nothing that matches me. And God said, you're right. There's nothing that matches you. So he put him asleep and pulled from his side and made a woman. His name was Adama, Adama, which means dirt. The Hebrew for man is ish. The Hebrew word for woman is isha, out of man. He pulled her out of man. When he woke up, and you've heard me say this many times, he woke up and he realized he had had surgery and was now married, you know. And so he just didn't realize all that. And so here he is, and so he's got them, and God had already told him, out of all the trees, see them? You can eat it, except not that one. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in the day you eat from that tree, what will happen to you? You're going to die. You're, actually, in Hebrew, it says, die and you shall surely die. I think he's implying you're going to die spiritually and then you're going to die physically. Because when Adam ate that fruit, did he die physically? No, but he died spiritually right then. And then 900 years later, he died physically. So God told him that. And when the woman came, he said, let me tell you something, honey. See all that? We can eat everything. But that tree right there, we can't eat from it. In fact, don't even touch it. Don't even touch it. And so she said, Okay. And so there it is. Now watch what happened, chapter 3. And we're going to see the fall of man. And here's the woman who is, uh, she, she just doesn't know enough. I mean, she's just there. And the man, which we're going to realize as you study the passage, and we're not going to go into the detail. If you've ever been in my 2-2 class, we actually go into the detail on the fall. And I want you to understand that when Satan is talking to the woman, Adam is there. He is not some far away in a field because when she takes the fruit and eat, it says she fruit ate it and gave it to him. He's right there the whole time. He should have said, excuse me, stand back. He should have, but he didn't. Okay, so let's watch what happens. Here she is, and look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? So the first aspect here is he's coming. He's the, but Revelation 22, he's called the serpent of old. This is who he is. This is Satan. He's crafty. He's subtle. He's coming, uh, cunning. And he says, has God said, you shall not eat from any of the trees? I mean, all these trees, you, you know, you can't eat from everything? What's the deal? Why would he do that? And what's he, what's he raising? What's he raising the question of? Doubt. The, uh, doubt. What, what do you mean God won't let you eat everything? If he really loved you, he'd let you eat anything you want. If he really loved you, he'd get, you'd get married. If he really loved you, you'd be rich. If he really loved you, you wouldn't have all those pains in your leg. You, you wouldn't. If he really loved you, these kind of things wouldn't be happening to you. And he says to her, if God really loved you, He'll let you eat from every tree. So he says, as God said, you can't eat from all the trees. And look what the woman said. Uh, so the woman said to the serpent, well, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. Yes, we can eat. But, but there's something else. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm sure that 
Adam told her, don't touch it. He probably said, don't even go over there. Don't even get close to it. Where is she right now? She's pretty close to it, you know. She's over there going, well, you know, it actually is a, it's a pretty good looking tree. Uh, I think it was a banana. So anyway, she says, I think that's, that's pretty, pretty good looking, actually. And so he says, has God said that you can't eat that? And so what does he do? She said, well, we may eat from any tree of the garden except this one in the middle. It's the one of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because God said in the day that we eat from that, what's going to happen to us? We're going to die. And I wonder if she even knew what die exactly meant. Had anything ever died? Had she ever seen any kind of death? Had any animal ever died? Had any tree ever died? Nothing. She may not exactly understand even what death is. And you know, when they ate that fruit, they didn't die physically. She may, uh, they felt different, let me just tell you that. But, but she may say, I, I don't understand all this. Now, watch Satan, because he is a what? He, he's crafty and he's a liar. Watch what he says. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Look, he's a liar. He is the liar. He is the father of lies. John eight forty four. His statement is, you shall not die. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, watch that's what he goes on to say. He says, you will surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Is it true that the day they ate from it, their eyes were opened? It was. And what does he say? And you will be like God. Will they be like God? No. Not exactly. Does God know right from wrong? Did they know right from wrong? Yeah, but they're not like God. And when he told her that, she probably thought, God, I want he's pretty big time from what I've seen. I'd like to be that too. And he will, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so he lied to her. He said, you won't die. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And, you know, he implied that, you know, the reason he told you not to eat that because, see, if you eat that, you'll be just like him. And he doesn't really want competition. I mean, right now, he's the only one around here. But, uh, you know, yeah, I probably might have said to him, well, why don't you eat it if it's such a big deal? But you can just see her thinking, well, what's going on? And he says, you'll not die. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so here's the key to this whole thing. There are two areas. The first is he wants her to doubt God's love. See, why is he holding back? Why will he not let you eat from every tree? Why is he hidden something? If he really loved you, why wouldn't he let you eat from all the trees? He doesn't want you to be like him. He's holding back. If he really loved you, he would let you do anything you want. You know, isn't that funny? Sometimes parents think, to me, I, I want my kids to love me, so I'm going to give them everything they want. That's not love. There's always boundaries. And God said there's boundaries. There's a tree over there. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of right and wrong. If you eat, what he wanted them to do was not eat from the tree of the right and wrong so they would know right from wrong by doing right. But if they eat from the tree of right and wrong, they'd learn right from wrong by doing wrong and, and and if we were to say gosh I wish I'd have been there I probably would have said hey you get out of here no you wouldn't have. you'd have said boy that thing looks really good in fact you would have said boy the tree looks good for food and it's delight to the eyes and it's desirable to make me wise I'll be just like God now he's who's there Satan, I mean Satan's right there and he's a, he's a serpent and by the way what does he look like 
He's beautiful. He's not slithering on the ground. The fall, God cursed him and put him on the ground. We do not know what he looked. We don't know what serpents look like before the fall. We don't know before the curse. And he's probably just beautiful. And she's going, well, this guy, I mean, he seems to know something. And let me say one other thing. Did she seem surprised that the serpent could talk? She didn't go, oh, my goodness, I've never heard an animal talk. Do you think possibly before the fall that maybe some animals could communicate maybe in a different way than they communicate now? I, I don't know. I don't know. We know that God let Balaam's donkey talk. And, and so when, when the serpent talks to her, you see no surprise that she's going, how is this possible? She doesn't do that. I, I don't know. So she, she says, if God really loved us, why is he holding this back? And then what's the second thing? to doubt God's word. What did Satan say? What did God say? In the day that you eat from that, you shall surely what? Now what did Satan say? You will not die. He's a liar. And he wants them to doubt God's word. And, and he's going to say, if God, if God was truthful, you, the truth is, you're not going to die when you eat that. When you do this wrong thing, it won't hurt you. How many times we thought that? Uh, I just do it one time, just one more time, and then it'll be okay now. And throughout history, what do people say? Uh, the Bible, well, you know, it's a really good book, but yeah, <laughs> there wasn't any part in any Red Seas, and there wasn't anything that swallowed uh, a guy and all that. And you think the sun stood still? You think some guy, a chariot, came down and picked some guy up? And I mean, do you think, I mean... And people say, oh, the Bible, well, I mean, it's okay. But, I mean, there's a lot of stories in there that aren't real. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of people who actually believe that these stories aren't real. There's a whole bunch of people that do not hold to the Bible. I mean, I used to, there's a pastor in town. He's now retired and gone. But I knew him. We'd go to different meetings together, and he'd laugh at me. He said, oh, here comes JB. He has the inerrant Bible. And he was making fun of me because he said, the Bible has errors in it and it's not God's word. And I'd say it is. And he, he would just tell me, well, it's not. It's just a book. It's just a book. And I'd say, no, it's the word of God. It's alive and powerful and sharpening two edged sword, piercing forward, division, soul, and spirit. So it is. And so what Satan wants people to do is to say, do you know how many errors are in this book? Do you know how many times it's been translated and wrong? Did you know they found a whole bunch of lost books in the Bible? Did you know that they said that they've looked it up and they, a fish can't swallow a man? Do you believe that God parted the Red Sea? Yes. Do you believe Jonah was swallowed by a fish and then threw up on the shore? Yeah. Do you believe Jesus died and rose again? Yes. And I'm going to tell you, everything in this Bible is accurate and perfect and true, and you better hold to it. And Satan wants you not to believe that this is right. And let me tell you, when we say that Jesus died and rose again, and when you believe in him, you get what? 
eternal life, and he wants you to say, nope, it's too easy, it can't be that way, there has to be something you have to do, you can't just believe in Jesus for eternal life and be saved forever. No, 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 no. And that's why everybody in this world has got such a confused message, because they've listened to the devil and has message about, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you could lose it, uh, eternal life doesn't mean eternal life. I mean, that mess is out there, it's all a lie. Where do you find the salvation message that's grace through faith? Where? In the Bible. Where do you find that you have to do good works to be saved? It's not in the Bible. There's a whole bunch of good works to, to gain rewards as a believer and to serve Him, but it has nothing to do with salvation. And what you see is that false message that we've been talking about, and so He wants you to doubt that He loves you, and He wants you to doubt that God's Word is true. That's what he wants. And it started right there in the garden, and it goes right now. And let me tell you what. If God loved you, you'd be better off. If God really loved you, you wouldn't be sick. If God really loved you, you would have graduated. You, if God really loved you, you wouldn't have lost that job. If God really loved you, this wouldn't have happened to you. If God really loved you, and let me tell you, God says that you shouldn't do this, but it won't hurt you. It's not wrong. It's not really wrong. That's, that, that's just something old written in an old book because our new culture and our new world says this is not wrong, but God says it's wrong, and he wants you to doubt it. That's his plan. Doubt God's word. So, the key. If God really loved you, he'd let you eat it. He's not telling you the truth. If you eat, you'll be like God. And she ate and the Bible says that she saw it. It looked good for food. It was what? So it's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's the three things right there. In First John, it says the, the battle that we face is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the three things that she was dealing with. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, look good, pride of life. It'd make her like God. And so that's exactly what you find. The key to be like God. You can be like God. What caused the fall of Satan? He wanted to be like what? What caused the fall of man? They wanted to be like what? Like God. That's the bottom line, y'all. That's it. And you got religions. Like Mormonism. And what do they say? The goal is to be what? Like God. That's the same old thing. The big plan. Doubt God's love. Doubt God's word. If he loved me, these things wouldn't happen to me. Uh, doubt God's word. The Bible... The Bible has some good parts to it. No, the Bible is perfect. It is the Word of God. Okay, let's get some applications and the quiz, and then we'll have time for questions and everything. So let's go with some applications. Here's the first one. Let's understand that Satan tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross to pay for sin. That, that's his plan. If he could just figure out a way to stop the cross, to stop Jesus, because when Jesus died on the cross, he, he died and rose again. He paid for sin. And he conquered death. How many people owe God death for sin? How many? No. Did Jesus die on the cross to pay for the sins of the entire world? How many sins have been paid for? Everyone. How many people are not going to live are not going to exist forever? No. How many people who are not going to exist forever? Nobody. Everybody's going to exist forever. Why? Because Jesus conquered death. When he died on the cross, he not only paid for the sins of the entire world, 
but he rose from the grave conquering death for every person. That means nobody goes to hell because of sin. People are separated from God because why? They do not believe. John 3.18 He that believes is not condemned. He that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Every human being will be raised from the grave to stand before Jesus Christ. Some will be raised from the grave to spend eternity with him. It's called what? It's called eternal, eternal life and it comes by faith. Others will be raised from the grave to be separated from God. It's called the second death and it's called the lake of fire and it's because they did not believe. It is that simple. Every human being, the debt has been paid, death is conquered, every human being has the opportunity to spend eternity with Jesus Christ if they will believe in him for eternal life. It's that simple. Let's understand, Satan tried to stop him because that's the greatest event of all time. That's why the, 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 the victory is on, in the cross. That's why Paul would say, I might know nothing except the cross of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Then second, let's realize that three times in the wilderness, Satan wanted Jesus to go contrary to the will of God. That's the plan. If he could just get him to make a mistake, so to speak. Now, he's not because he's perfect. He's the son of God. He never sinned. Okay, and we saw that. Let's understand, number three, that Jesus used the Word of God to withstand temptation. And so what are we going to do? How are we going to deal with the temptations when they come? Because they come every day, right? And let me, let me say this. Is temptation sin? No, it is not. If you're tempted, something is happening, that does not mean you have sinned. Jesus was tempted at all points, yet without sin. Now, it's how you deal with it. It's how you respond to the temptation. But just remember that Jesus used the Word of God to deal with the temptations that came. And, and we should as well. And then the last one. Let's realize that Satan wants mankind to doubt God's love and to doubt God's Word. That's the two things. And you're going to see it in your life. And things are going to happen to you, and you're going to say, why did God let this happen to me? I mean, I've talked to people in my life, and one of the first things they say, if God is such a loving God, why did my grandfather die when I was nine? Okay? Why are you blaming God? You're saying that he doesn't love you? That he didn't love your grandfather? What? You know, so realize Satan wants man to doubt God's love and to doubt God's word.